are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, where we are going to bring some science into focus for the next hour or so here on the show. My name's Cade. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm just going to quickly cheekily remind you that if you want to follow us on social media at Radio Silence, you can find us on Twitter. Or if you've, you know, missed our past episodes, want to hear more of them, you really like this show, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Radio Silence, search us up. Um, before we begin, I just, I'm not alone here in the studio. Thank goodness. God, what a show that would be if someone just let me loose. Um, but no, I'm joined by two lovely humans. We've got Kai and Oliver here. Hello, guys. How are you going? Pretty good, Cade. How are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, I'm doing pretty good, besides from getting a bit wet coming over here. Thanks, yeah. Melbourne weather. How dare this guy be crying like that? Um, look. We've got a really fun episode ahead of us. Um, holes is our theme. We're talking all about holes. And normally we start our shows with a cute little fun fact. And before the show, Kai was like, what is the biggest hole you've been in? And that was the fun <laughs> That was the fun fact about each of us that uh, Kai wanted to talk about. And I'm just, I honestly, I'm just so curious about what your answer is. And I want to hear your answer particularly, Kai. And then... Well, I'm obviously, I've got to go with like the big hole I dug at the beach. <laughs> Classic. Um, like, which is not yeah, the biggest right. hole, but it's the biggest hole I've contributed to building. Um, it's deep enough to stand up in and, like, not have your head above normal beach level. Here I was is... thinking you were going to tell some mad, like, abseiling story or something about some, like, I mean, massive crater that you've descended I could also into. talk about, like, open pit mines. I've, like... That's cool. I haven't really gone in them, but you get to, like, stand on the edge and, like, wow, there's this really big hole here. Wow. Um, um, look, those are some very impressive holes. Oliver, do you have an answer to this question? <laughs> Uh, well, you don't have to. It's a weird question. I mean, the could be a metaphorical thing, like a hole you've dug yourself. Yeah, like a <laughs> a PhD. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a big hole. Um, uh, look, I'm really resisting the urge to make some sort of sexual intercourse joke right at this particular moment about big holes because I don't think I've been in any exciting holes. Like I really don't have, <laughs> and I because I get claustrophobic quite easily. So even like I've been there are some cool caves in Western Australia in particular mm. that I. I've been down into and walked around. But at those caves that I went to, I went to like the very, very big open space ones. I didn't go to any of the like really cool. There were ones that you could go down that are really tight and enclosed. And like, I know people and that you have to like crawl through like, narrow gaps. No. <laughs> yeah, not for me, not for me. So I guess, I mean, the question was biggest hole. So sure, some of, let's go caves, uh, caves. in I, WA. I, I actually um, have been in, um, well, a semi-famous big hole, mm -hmm. which is in Romania, there's this old salt mine, which is oh, no yeah. longer an active salt mine. Yeah. But uh, part of it was essentially a massive, like, underground hole where they built now a amusement park. A what? Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When we had that as the question, that wasn't your first, like, guys, I've been to an amusement well, park inside a salt mine. I, what? I had forgotten about it. Dude, He was just waiting awesome. to one-up all of us. Like, we had to say our whole Yeah, right? Thing, I had yeah. to make my dumb, I like, wanted to know what I was, you know, I, I wanted to know all what right. sort of stuff I had in competition for Biggest Hole. <laughs> Mad flex. <laughs> well, uh, you win. Um... Before we get on to some actual science about various uh, different holes, we will get there. Um, we're going to start, as always, with just some news stories. So, Kai, what have you got for us from the week? So, I've got some good news for people with curly hair. And oh, yeah. I'm told, I don't have curly hair myself, I don't, so... I don't have enough hair to know whether it's <laughs> curly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm told it takes a lot of effort to maintain curly hair and not have it just become outrageously unruly and frizzy. And, okay. Yeah, just, just, I don't know. 
it's, again, not a problem I personally <laughs> relate to. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like this is this is something that curly-haired people complain about if if you listen to them. Um, probably more seriously, though, it's kind of like a historical and kind of social problem with mm-hmm. black people and hair care products being made right, predominantly right, right, right. for white people's hair types which are not as curly and yeah consequently that Mm, means that they can't get hair products that are most suitable insufficient so like we're talking about science so let's be a bit Mm -hmm. scientific about you know different hair types and there's various classification schemes you know that try and classify different hair types and all the ones that have existed so far have been purely qualitative so it's just Mm -hmm. looking at a picture and you're going oh yeah my hair's kind of like that yeah you know has Read the description and go, yep, that sounds like me. Right. Um, but that's not very useful if if you actually want to know something about what's going on with your hair and which product is going to be best for it because mm. maybe just the descriptions is not enough. Mm-hmm. So Michelle Gaines, who is a materials scientist in the US and is a black woman with very curly hair, mm-hmm. decided she's going to do something about it. All right. Good on and her. She and her lab created this new system of quantifying hair type yeah. And, you know, they, they talk about all the different tests they did. They're getting, yeah. And, you know, they're, like, testing all these different samples. And because she's a material scientist, uh-huh. all of the tests are the same sort of things people would do to, like, a steel beam. Yeah, right. It's like measuring how much it stretches when you apply a certain amount of force and, you know, plotting it on a graph and you, you get the stress versus That's strain graph. That's mad cool. And yeah. You get, you get doing Black this woman hair science with hair. For that. And one Absolutely. of the things that they've come up with is... Like the easiest method for characterizing hair is Mm. what they're calling the stretch ratio, which is basically the difference between the Mm. length of the hair when it's, you know, just chilling, chilling, might be curled up a bit and versus when you stretch it out. Right. And like that ratio is pretty good at quantifying curliness. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes makes a lot of sense. It's quite obvious. But they also like this correlates well. Well, It's obvious when you say it, but I feel like. That wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, but like this correlates really well with the more scientific methods where you're measuring force and actually stretching it out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, the stretch ratio is is a good proxy for those mm. methods. Mm-hmm. So what that means is anyone can measure this on themselves, mm. assuming they can you know, get a how hair. accessible. Oh my gosh, I love this. You don't even need like a how good. Yeah, so um, making it's really cool accessible. for understanding how different hair works because curly hair tends to. Um, not retain moisture as well, mm-hmm. and this is why, like people with curly hair, apparently don't like going out in the rain much, like a day like today, where it's, mm. it's a bit rainy, mm-hmm. um, a just bit rainy, <laughs> a bit rainy. I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> um, yes. And and yeah, the way that hair retains moisture is really important for you know, how it sits on your head and doesn't if it goes. Oh, frizzy. aesthetically, absolutely. Yeah, and even just like if you want to try and keep it tame. <laughs> I mean, buzz cut. I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for the buzz cut you'll ever hear. For all of our listeners who have never seen me in person, I have a buzz cut, if that was not obvious, um, <laughs> from everything I've said. Absolutely. Uh, Hair? Nah. No, nah, not, not your thing? Nah. Too much effort, man. Like, have you ever tried getting out of the shower and just, like, towel through your hair? Done. Done. Styled. Done. Sorted. Nothing. Helmet I mean, hair, I ride a motorbike, I play <laughs> ice hockey, I do various things that require helmets. See, I find there's actually like a local minimum for me. When I get mm. a cut, like I actually got a haircut quite recently. Mm. Now it's like... Which one? A lot of them actually. <laughs> yeah, whoa. Fact, you got them, some hairs yeah. cut. Wild. Um, but then it gets like, it stick, sticks up on weird angles and stuff. Because yeah. it's, it's like long yeah, enough yeah. to stick out, but not yeah. long enough buzz that cut. it's heavy enough to... You know, to, a buzz cut will solve that. Then my hair, head would get cold. 
This is already okay, a problem. No. So, okay, I people are often like, okay, but like a buzz cut, great for summer, bad for winter. I put forward the counter argument that like beanies are fantastic, right, at keeping your head warm. And they often fall off my head, except for when I have a buzz cut, then your head is Velcro. Man, your head is Velcro. Buzz cut is the best haircut for summer because it breathes and for winter because it's Velcro for your beanie. Wow. I rest my case. Heard it here first. Yes. Um, anyway. Unless you're friends with me, then you've probably heard it several times before. Um do you have some news for us, Kate? It's I do. It's not I... hair-related, or maybe it is. No, oh, no, it's not, actually. It's not at all. I don't know why I paused <laughs> even remotely for a second there. It's not hair-related. Um, it's bug-related. And I don't know if you guys knew, but, well, no. I know that the two of you sitting in this room know because I told you just before we went on air. Um, but, listeners, uh, there is a bug that exists called the assassin bug, the Australian assassin bug. It has a very hard-to-pronounce, fancy scientific name, and I've decided that I'm not even going to attempt. Um... And we're just going to go with the the common name, which is the Australian assassin bug. So these bugs, you know, we know some things about them. There's a lot we don't know. One thing we do know is they're often kind of seen sitting, like resting on blades, specifically blades of grass of the spinifex grass. So the spinifex grass is, is a pretty common kind of plant in Australia. Um, and it produces this like really sticky resin, right? And really interesting, and this you'll understand why this is interesting later, but Indigenous Australians traditionally used this like sticky kind of spinifex resin to help make tools. Okay. Now, interestingly, scientists, like they've kind of suspected that these bugs might be using the resin to help capture their prey in kind of what is a very rare case of like animals using tools or mm. bugs using tools. Like that's that's unheard of. And they're kind of like, this is it. And they've suspected that they use this resin somehow. Like they've suspected this for a while, but it's never or up until, you know, a study published this week mm-hmm. had never been tested experimentally. So researchers from Macquarie University, what they did is they collected 26 of these assassin bugs um, from the Kimberley region in Western Australia. And they took them into the lab, as scientists often do. <laughs> um, first of all, what they noticed is that the bugs were like scraping this resin off the grass and just very meticulously applying it, like, all over their body, but in particular to their little, like, forearms, which is like, okay. Their arms for grabbing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so then what they did, the experiment, each bug was placed into a glass jar, and it was offered two prey, um, one at a time, like, individually, mm-hmm. but it was offered a housefly and also an ant, right? Um, then what they did, so they did that, and then they kind of just watched what happened, so saw whether the bug kind of, like, grabbed and assassinated the prey or whether they missed it or they left it or whatever. Um, Then what they did is they removed the resin from the bugs using little makeup wipes um, (laughs) and they repeated the experiment. And what they found is that the bugs were 26% more successful at capturing their prey when they were equipped with the resin Mm -hmm. than without. So the resin didn't like guarantee success, but it definitely, what it appeared to do was like slow down the prey just enough for the assassin Mm. bug to have time to like grab and stab essentially. Um, but science, yeah, right. Crazy. Scientists were most interested by the fact that this seems to be like a rare example of tool use mm. in the animal kingdom because it's like the similar sort of, you know, humans, we did the same thing. Australian, like some of the first Australians were like, Hey, this resin stuff, real sticky. I'm gonna make some tools and I'm gonna stab yeah, some yeah. stuff with it. The bugs, they've done the same thing. Like wow. how cool is that? I don't know. I thought that was cool. So that's my new story. Um, for this week. So, as I mentioned at the start of this little bit, today's show is all about holes. Get very excited. So, very <laughs> fittingly, our first song we have Holes by Passenger. Yo. 
You are listening to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. You just heard Holes by Passenger, and today we're all talking all about holes. And Oliver, you research holes. Tell us about that. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kai. Yeah, I, I research a type of hole, I guess you could say. Uh, so I'm a, a theoretical astrophysicist here at the University mm-hmm. of Melbourne, mm-hmm. and my main research area is black holes. Okay, so, they're mm-hmm. a, type of so, hole. it's a type of hole. As far as the name tells me, <laughs> I don't know much about much, but... It's in the name, right? I guess, I guess it depends on your definition of hole, but if, if we're going to go to the effort of calling them black holes, I say we can say they're a type of hole. Okay. Um, I'm not going to ask the question of how, what are the different ways one can define a hole. I will not <laughs> put that on you. Oh, no. I think that's a bit out of my pay grade. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> tell me about black holes. Right. So, yeah, black holes are pretty cool. I mean, I think most people have come across them in maybe sci-fi. They're pretty cool things to put in sci-fi. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm guessing a lot of people don't really know exactly what a black hole is. Okay, so, do you want to hear my, like, real, I have absolutely no background in this whatsoever understanding of a black hole, and you can tell me all the ways that I'm wrong? Give it a go. So it's, like, a real, it's, well, there's a lot of density. I know that much. Um, and it eats things, as far as I understand, right? Traditionally, they, like, just storm through space and gobble what's in their path and suck everything in and, like... That's honestly, that's like, that's what we're working with. That's my that's, base level understanding I mean, of a black hole. Everything you said if is. You can tell me anything more than that. At a base level, what you said is more or less correct. More or less. A good <laughs> so, start. Good start. So everyone likes to think of black holes as like these big cosmic vacuum cleaners. They suck yes. everything in. Um, technically, they don't suck. I mean, mm, it can't, mm-hmm. so people tend to think of it that way, but it's actually just gravity. Like they work the same as anything else with gravity. So. Right. One cool fact that I learned quite a long time ago when I was first interested in black holes in high school is that if you were to replace our sun with a black hole that had the same mass as the sun, Mm -hmm. in terms of the solar system orbits, nothing would change. The Earth would continue to orbit exactly as it is because all that matters for gravity is how massive the object is and how far away you are. Okay. So it has the same mass. Yeah. The thing that's special about black holes is, well, I mean, A, they're black. Right, right, right. Okay. Like... (laughs) Wait, that does that sense. just mean like absence of light in this sense? Yes. Right. So when <laughs> when astrophysicists call things uh, dark or black, we just mean can't see it, no light. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Blind, <laughs> please help. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the thing that's special about black holes is, as you said, they're very dense. So mm-hmm. they have a lot of a lot of stuff in a small space. In a very small space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads to some pretty wacky things. Mm-hmm. So essentially, because they're so um, dense, mm-hmm. you can get very close to where all the mass is compacted. So if the mm-hmm. sun was to be compacted into a black hole, mm-hmm. it would have a edge, I, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. at only a couple of kilometers uh, in radius. Right. How big is the sun? Um, <laughs> do you know? Do, do we know? Very do any, large. A lot, a lot More bigger. than a couple of kilometers. I mean, it's bigger <laughs> than the few. Earth, right? It's much, quite a bit much bigger. bigger than and the Earth, the Earth is Bigger than a couple of kilometers, I last to, I checked. I seem to remember hearing you can fit at least like a million Earths inside the volume oh, of the sun. heck. Okay, that much bigger. Right. So big. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no. Sun's big, yeah. Sun big. So. Black hole small. Yeah. Whoa, yeah, okay. No, but, cool. Because it's that's... so small, though, you can get really close to it, and mm. that's where gravity is really, really high. So that's mm. why people think of it sucking, because it has very, very strong gravity close mm. to the black hole. Mm-hmm. And strong gravity kind of 
I guess you could say, pulls things into it. You know, gravity's mm-hmm. a force. Mm-hmm. It pulls things together. Mm-hmm. More gravity means a stronger pulling force. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and technically, for general relativity, which is my man Einstein's uh, <laughs> crowning achievement, uh-huh. um, who, that's where we get the ideas for black holes from, among other things. Uh-huh. Uh, technically, Einstein, he did one or two things last night. <laughs> a few things, you know. Maybe heard, heard of been. the bloke once or twice. Um, technically, in his theory, gravity isn't a force. Gravity is just uh, curvature of space-time. So what that means is, and a nice way to think about it is, imagine mm. you have like a flat piece of rubber. Mm-hmm. If you put something that has some mass on it, like a ball or something, mm-hmm. that'll essentially curve that piece of rubber, right? Yeah, um, right, yep. It's kind of like that, except in more than two dimensions. So in, Yeah, right. So you can think of space-time as this kind of like three-dimensional four-dimensional fabric, mm. I guess. Three-dimensional mm. spatial fabric. for time. Yeah, one of time, because mm-hmm. time counts as a dimension for some reason <laughs> um, <laughs> that I won't get into. But Yeah, how long do you have, folks? <laughs> so, yeah, mass, mass kind of warps this fabric of space-time. Mm-hmm. The more mass, the more warping you get. Mm-hmm. And that warping is what gravity is in this theory. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a mm-hmm. force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of, to us, it looks like a force. Yeah. But mathematically, but it's not the thing that's causing it, like in like a causal sort of relationship, right? Because yeah. force kind of implies that it's just this thing that does stuff, but it's a kind of a flow on from yeah. the mass. Is it's it's, it's a flow on from what mass does to our environment. So mass, there's this great quote that mass causes space time to curve, mm-hmm. and the curvature of space time tells mass how to move. So it's kind of like okay. it goes right. both ways. It's like a reciprocal kind of yeah. And because black holes are very dense and you can get close to them, there's the curvature near a black hole is very high, which means lots of gravity, very strong gravity. Mm-hmm. So it uh, can pull things in more, I right. guess. Right, yeah, yeah. So it kind of – I mean, I can see how sucking is like kind of the most colloquial yeah. language that we have at the moment of describing that process, I guess. And um, so some viewers, listeners might think, well – it's just a theory. How do we know black holes exist? Mm, have we seen one? We have, in fact. Mm. We've seen one mm-hmm. two directly. Oh, yeah. I mean, depends on your definition of directly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, with your own eyeballs, just <laughs> so, like up in the sky, chilling next to the sun. There are a few ways we can infer the existence of black holes. Mm-hmm. One of the oldest ones was look at the orbit of stars. If yeah, the okay. stars look like they're orbiting something that we can't see... It's probably, it's probably something that has mass that we can't see, therefore black hole. Is that the definition of a black hole, though? Something that just, like, appears to have mass, right? So it makes stars do a thing around it, but we can't see it, so it must be a black hole? Like, it, is that... It's kind of like, It's yeah. a hole in our understanding? Is that what we're saying? Well, if we see things like that, we assume it's a black hole because we okay. don't have any theories that explain what else it could be, really. Yeah, right, because, like, if it was a star, you'd see it, right? Yeah. Is the... That's that's the understanding, and especially mm. for something like the supermassive black holes that mm-hmm. we think are at the center of galaxies, mm-hmm. we can look at the stars in the center of our galaxy mm-hmm. and see how they're orbiting. They seem to be orbiting something that we can't see mm-hmm. that is really, really massive. So mm-hmm. it it ha- weighs like two million times or four million times, something like that, a couple mm-hmm. million times the mass of our sun. Right. And the only theory we have to explain what something could be mm-hmm. so massive that doesn't emit any light is a black hole. Right. So we just assume it's a black hole. So the way that we know the mass of this question mark thing, maybe black hole, is that just 
inferred based on the movement of the stuff around it? Correct, yes. Yeah, okay. However, very recently, we've actually been able to take a direct image of the supermassive oh, yeah. black hole in our galaxy. I did hear about this. So this is through a collaboration called the Event Horizon mm, Telescope. Mm-hmm. And despite what the name is, it's not a single telescope. <laughs> it's a network of telescopes because... Right. Even though the black hole at the center of the galaxy is very big, it's also mm-hmm. very far away. Mm. So we would need a telescope the size of the Earth to view it. Mm. We don't have one. So instead we... <laughs> no, we, unfortunately we don't. We have to do the best we can, which is combine data from a whole bunch of telescopes across the Earth. Mm, so we just turn the Earth we already have into a telescope. Essentially, yeah. And Mad. then that's where you get um, the image that was released, I believe, last year mm. of our supermassive black hole, Sagittarius A star. Yeah. And... It may be a little blurry, but it uh, matches exactly with what our theory predicted, which is why we say it is a direct observation of a black okay. hole. And the mass inferred from that image lines up with the mass predicted through the stars orbiting it. So it's another tick. Yeah, okay, cool. So everything so far has lined up to suggest that there is this yes. thing that we're calling it. Is it literally hole? Because we don't know what else it could be. Like, I'm just, I don't black know. Black holes, I mean, it's a fun name and it's stuck. So, mm. you know, I mean, you could call it dark star if you wanted to. You could mm-hmm. call it anything. Mm-hmm. But black hole is kind of stuck around. So mm. I, I think we're going to stick with that. All right. <laughs> I well, guess it's the... a hole because things like fall into it and don't yeah. come out. Yeah, right. Maybe that's a good question. Why don't things come out of a black hole? Yeah, what happens... <laughs> Do they become part of the mass yes. of the black hole? So anything that falls right. into the black hole stays there because the gravity is so strong that you would need to travel faster than the speed of light to escape it. Nothing mm-hmm. can, as far as we know, nothing can travel faster than the speed of light, which mm-hmm. means nothing can ever escape a black hole. So if mm, you so. fell into a black hole, you become part of the black hole. <laughs> yeah, okay. So note to self, don't fall into the black hole. Probably maybe. not. Not a great idea. You could learn something cool, though, but, you know, you, you might not tell, tell anyone. anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, well, that's it. I think Radio Silence official advice of the day. Don't fall don't into fall. a black hole. Uh, I mean, if you can get close enough to one that you don't fall in and you can learn stuff about it, that would be pretty cool. So, <laughs> it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Just some inspection. Uh, no. What was the movie? Oh Interstellar. my god! Interstellar, <laughs> obviously the space one. Where, yeah. Anyway, let's yeah. no. <laughs> I, heard, I heard recently that that movie like treats a lot of things about black holes really well, but exaggerates mm-hmm. some other things too. Mm. Yep. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, yeah. So uh, the science advisor that helped you know determine all the science for the black holes for that movie is Kip Thorne. Mm. He's a mm-hmm. Nobel laureate. Mm. Yeah. He got the Nobel Prize for uh, the first detection of. Uh, gravitational waves, which were produced from black holes. Basically, mm-hmm. if you want to know about black holes, he's your guy. Yeah, okay. He was so busy, so you've got me. They got the guy <laughs> um, for Intercell. No, we got the guy. They got the second best. So, yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff they did in that movie is uh, scientifically accurate, up until the point where Matthew McConaughey falls into the black hole. <laughs> right. That's where it's just Well, guesswork. that's where we, I guess, don't have recorded... No, so you, We you, don't know. You can't say that what happened in there we was wrong. We can't say it was wrong for you with any yeah. certainty. There okay, were a few things you. that they calculated for how the black hole should look that they didn't include, even though it would technically be correct. And the reason why they didn't include it mm. is because the director, Christopher Nolan, said, well, it doesn't quite look visually pleasing oh. and it could confuse the audience so instead they they basically toned down some of the physics i right. mean it's, it's still very okay. accurate but they basically turned off certain oh, effects just to make it look a bit something. better fair enough i guess is a very visually impressive movie it is yeah. impressive movie even if 
not totally accurate. Mm. It's as close as it's you're going to get in yeah. any movie I've seen. So yeah, yeah that's that's still pretty good. So I'll take it. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for black holes. We're going to talk about some more holes after our next song, which is quite fittingly "Supermassive Black Hole" by Muse. Welcome back here to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was Supermassive Black Hole by Muse because today we are doing holes. Our theme is holes, the science of holes. Welcome. We're talking. Kai, what holes have you got for us? All right. Well, before. What knowledge holes are you going to plug? I'm stopping. All right. Um, I got a whole lot of puns. No, okay. Sorry. Go. If you keep going with the weird science puns, it's going to lead into what I'm going to say. Would you agree Mm -hmm. that scientists are sometimes a little bit weird? Yes. Good. Wholeheartedly. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story about a scientist doing something a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. And I say that to talk myself up because this scientist is me. Okay, I was going to say, this is a Kai story. Go. Um, I'm, I'm keen. I'm... So one day I had a cardboard box and yep. it was reasonably big, like right. not big enough to get in. It wasn't like a fridge box or anything like okay. that. It was sort of just, you know, medium size, bigger than your cereal box type size. You could fit a cat in it? Yeah, you could fit a cat in it, but okay. I didn't have any cats on hand. <laughs> um, size gauge, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why cat. But I, I was a bit bored. What do you think I did with this cardboard box? I don't know, man. What did you do? Have a guess. One guess. Uh, something sciencey. I don't know. Yeah, but like also a bit cut weird. a hole in it is what I want to say. <laughs> Given the hole, holes before I thing. before I got there. All right, I'll I'll tell you. I put it on my head. Oh, right. Of yes, course you Of did. course you did. Right, yeah. Like I'm okay. glad you agree. Yeah. Cool. And when I put it on my head, I saw something. That, like, blew my mind. Okay. You know, I put my head in this magic cardboard box and the universe was revealed to me. Okay. (laughs) Because. (laughs) What fumes (laughs) did you inhale? What was this box previously storing? I don't actually remember. I don't actually remember. But the the thing that I saw inside this cardboard box was an image. Okay. Of the view outside the window of the room I was currently in. Wait. Okay. So, like, the cardboard box is, like, fully blocked out. Like, I can't see anything. But inside the box, I can see an image of the world. You can see it in front of you? Is inside it... the box. It's it's projected onto it's projected, the side okay. of the box. Is it the view from, like, in front of you? Like, if you yeah. removed the box, is it the same? same? Pretty much the same thing I would see looking in front of me. Okay. You're intrigued. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, what I'd accidentally done by uh-huh. putting this box on my head was make a pinhole camera. Oh, dude. Right. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. So it turns out this box had a tiny little hole in one mm-hmm. of the corners, mm-hmm. and that was enough to let light in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that light was projecting onto the side of the box, mm-hmm. and that was forming an image. So was the hole behind? No, it was in front of, between me and... The window that I was, that was in the image. So it was, it was coming in on a weird angle on the side of the box. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. here I was pointing this box around and looking at stuff and like my muffled voice going, whoa, was probably coming out of it. <laughs> guys, have you looked at cardboard <laughs> guys, before? Guys, it looks guys. just like the outside world. <laughs> Question, how old were you in this scenario? Not as young as you might think. Okay, I, cool. I was, I was, I had left, definitely had a Bachelor of Science. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so was it within the time of us making this show? It might have been, maybe just before. I can't remember exactly when it was. That's very funny. Um, But yeah, this was pretty crazy. And the people I could convince to put their head inside this box were also 
somewhat impressed that mm-hmm. the fact you could you could see mm-hmm. an image of the outside world. Yeah. And so the way that a pinhole camera works is it uses the pinhole as essentially like a lens. Right. So normally in a camera, you've got a lens and that focuses yep. the light rays. So mm-hmm. if you've got light coming off an object going mm-hmm. in all directions, yep. that doesn't form an image because no, it's, it's just blurred scattery. out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So to make it form an image, you've got to focus it onto mm. your image plane. So yep. that could be a screen, that could be a camera sensor, piece of film, whatever. Yep. But you've got to use a lens to Eyeball. focus it. Eyeball, yeah. So um, using a pinhole camera, you don't need a lens because only light that travels straight through the pinhole can reach the screen. So instead of light going everywhere and blurring, it's just the rays of light that come from the object, get through the hole, and then land on the screen. I don't know if you can picture that. So think about it, because normally and it light's coming off all the points of the object and yep. going at all the points on the screen. Yeah. Now, what you want to do is cut out the ones... Mm, that cut are out like the bouncy ones. So instead of redirecting them to the right spot, yeah. you're actually just like only letting rid through of them. the one, like only letting through a small bundle of rays yeah. Yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. through this tiny pinhole. Yeah. And it turns out that if you like, you know, trace the rays of light going through the pinhole, they land at one point on the screen, mm, and that's mm-hmm. what forms the image. Yeah. Right. And so it's really cool that you can do this without using a, a chunk of glass yeah. as your lens. Hole in a cardboard box. A hole yo. in a cardboard box. Um, because. There's actually some benefits to doing this with a pinhole camera. Right. Like lenses have different types of distortion. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken a photo of like something with straight lines, like a grid or a building or something. Mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sometimes straight lines a look a little bit curved. Yeah. And that's because you, you've got different um, distortion yeah, effects yeah. in the lens. And, you know, photographers go to great lengths to try and avoid this and camera manufacturers Mm. are spending lots of money trying to work out the best way to get a good lens that doesn't have all these types of distortion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Things like, you know, photo processing software, you can click a button and it, like, tries to correct distortions caused by lenses. Like, Mm. there's all sorts of things going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can just get away without any of that. You can just use a a cardboard box with a hole, (laughs) says Kai. Um, (laughs) Look at all these tech bros with their tech. I'm here with my cardboard box. Yeah, also solves some other problems like focusing. Like if you've got a lens. Yeah, tell me how to solve that problem. My PhD could use some more focus. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of focusing, ah, unfortunately. Damn. Yeah, trying to focus your lens, you've got to get it the right distance away from the camera sensor so that everything's nice and crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you know your photo might be out of focus if your lens isn't in the right position. Mm. But a pinhole camera, because it's only got a small hole and rays from everything can get through, mm. pretty much everything's in focus. Yeah, okay. So they have what's called a really large depth of field. So -hmm. that's like the distance away Mm. where things are still in focus. So you could Mm. take a photo of someone standing close to you and Mm. something far away in the background, and they could both be in focus. Okay. Now, a question. Yes. If this is so amazing (laughs) and solves all of the problems that fancy tech bros are trying to solve with their fancy tech, and we're using, like, why are we using lenses? Why Why are not all cameras pinholes? Yeah, that's a good question. And I I was getting to that. Okay. And well, the down, no, <laughs> just, like it was inevitable. You're really just selling the pinhole here. I know. I, just, I, know. I could not. Ask. I, I had to ride that for a bit. Like <laughs> I was enjoying it. Um, now, one of the the downsides is to get a sharp image, you need mm. a small hole, and mm. if you've got a small hole, not much light can get through. Yeah, right. So, so it's not a great image. It's not well. You know, you need to have a bright a bright subject. Like if you're outside on a sunny day, this works quite well. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in a, a bright 
like if you're not outside mm. and you need to get lots of light in, say you want to expose mm. a film or say you want to just even have enough light to be able to see, mm. you're gonna like you're gonna have to wait a long time to collect that light. So if you're using film, right. you yep. have to expose for a long time. And long exposures mean that you're gonna run out. Like if anything moves during that time, you're gonna get blurs. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. this is kind of why old photos from like a hundred years ago, you know, you see people yeah. have blurry faces and stuff because they right. weren't sitting perfectly still. Mm. Um, is it similar to so like me with my my fancy iPhone um, <laughs> taking photos at night? It makes you like wait, and you have to just like hold, hold the camera still. there and hold it still. And I just have very naturally <laughs> shaky arms, and I try to take photos of my dog who does not like to sit. And <laughs> he likes to sit and look photogenic for just enough time for me to take a really cute daytime photo. Mm. But like at night, and then the iPhone's like, "Please wait," and I'm like, "He's not gonna." And then he doesn't hold. Like, is it the same thing? Is it an amount of light yes. that I'm yes. waiting so, for? Yes, because it's dark. You're waiting for more light to get yeah, in. Yeah, right. Now, I think your iPhone camera is probably pretty smart and will try and, like, correct for any vibrations and stuff it to tries. some extent. It'll try really hard. But it's, you know, it's wrestling with a husky here. So. <laughs> I think the husky's going to win The husky's going to win that mm. fight. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Obviously, pinhole cameras have their downsides, but they can also be used for cool stuff. Mm. And let's say you want to look at something really, really bright. It's actually an advantage if you're not letting a lot of light in. Yeah. Okay. So is this... So there was a solar eclipse. There was a solar <laughs> very eclipse. Very recently. Very recently. And, um, and I heard of this being a tactic as like if I, I did the really official advice, don't stare straight at the sun. <laughs> I did. I saw it. It was really cool. I saw the little blip of the, and the then blocked you're like, out oh, moon and then I was like, I regret this. I'm gonna and then I saw it for the rest of the day burnt <laughs> into my retina. It was very cool for the oh. whole day. Um, but I heard that like if you don't have the glasses or a telescope, what you can do is make like a pinhole. Mm. camera mm. and then i i didn't but is that that's yeah that's exactly what you can do <laughs> yeah and i didn't actually do this for this eclipse um and i maybe because i was busy maybe because i was like still reliving some high school trauma <laughs> oh, okay wow. there's a story here there was a partial solar eclipse in melbourne in 2014 okay and i took a pinhole camera or like eclipse viewer thing to school and I'm like, look everyone, an eclipse. Oh, you can no. see. Oh no. See oh babe. <laughs> and no one believed me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not even just made fun of you for caring. Well, like, straight up thought you were not I tried to prove it. Like, okay, this is how dumb my some of my schoolmates were. Because I'm like, look, it's an eclipse. You can see the little cutout bit yeah, of the sun. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. like Nah, you just put an eclipse-shaped hole in the, in the <laughs> thing. In the pinhole, you just made like a not round hole. happened to perfectly hole. match the eclipse that was happening. I know, and I'm like... That would almost be more impressive. If you did that and managed to like prank me, I'd be more impressed. Yeah, and the then you get this, I'm like, eclipse. all right, all right, smarty pants. What happens if I rotate my eclipse if you are like 180 yeah, degrees? You yeah, expect the, right? the, the eclipse hole is going to rotate too, right? Yeah. And I did that, and the eclipse didn't move. Yeah. So obviously it's an obviously. image. And they're like, nah. Oh. And I'm like, God. that that was like a big blow to and my And then a fire was spirit. lit inside Kai's heart and he went and started a science radio show called Radio Silence yeah. so that he could tell science <laughs> to people that do care. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe I can finally move past oh, that. Um, I hope so. That little, little trauma. But, <laughs> yeah. Kids anyway. are going to be kids. I know, I know. So, yeah, holes are cool, especially for looking at, mm. looking at light. Yeah. No, absolutely. That sounds like a super nifty, uh, super great <laughs> way to look at light through a pinhole camera. Amazing. On the theme of holes, we've got another hole song. We've got Hole Again by Atomic Kitten. 
listening to Radio Silence. We're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. That was Hole Again by Atomic Kitten. And today we're talking all about holes. Cade, what hole are you going to fill in our knowledge today? Look, Kai, I was, I was honestly, I was shocked but delighted when I was like, oh, Kai, for the theme for the show, um, Oliver wants to talk about black holes. Can we make the theme holes? And you said yes. I mean, why wouldn't I? It's a good theme. I don't know what you thought I was going to talk about. Uh, um, when you I gave didn't. me free reign here. <laughs> but I'm obviously going to talk about my favourite hole, the butthole. Oh, I was not aware that was your favourite hole. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you now. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about buttholes. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not going to just talk about boring human buttholes. I'm going to give you a tour of some of my favourite buttholes uh, across the animal <laughs> kingdom. And there are some doozies, folks. There are some good ones. So am I. It's, it's going to be brilliant. And I just want to, you know, cheeky a little bit of... Self-promotion here. Um, Naturally. If, if 10 minutes of me ranting about buttholes is not enough butthole content for you and you want a whole, like, hour-long podcast on the science of butts, um, you're in luck, folks, because I also have a podcast. <laughs> Curiosity Killed the Rat. You can find us on wherever you want to find us. There's a whole, actually, I think it's like an hour and a half, that episode, on butts. And I've had to, like, find my favorite content for this particular segment. So <laughs> you guys are getting the cream of the crop. But, um, all right, butts. Let's start there. Let's start with... Anus. It's it's a word that comes from is it Latin or Greek? Anus. I don't know, but it means ring, right? Okay. Which is you know we just Seems talked about reasonable. the eclipse, <laughs> annular eclipse. Annular eclipse comes from the same word, oh, annular, meaning ring, because wow. that annular eclipse is where this like it moves just across, and there's still you can still see, see a, a ring, ring of the sun, yeah, yeah, around it. Same word. So anus means ring because you know. It's a ring. Despite this, it comes in so many different shapes and sizes across <laughs> our very diverse animal kingdom. Um, to begin with, though, did you know that not everyone has a butt or not everyone has an anus? Not everyone has a butthole. Um, talking about humans or like No, 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 animals. not humans. Um, no, animals, creatures, okay, right? Yeah. There, are, there are parasites, for example, like tapeworms. They don't need them. Some like multicellular but very, very simple organisms don't have a butthole. They don't have a mouth. They don't have a digestive tract. They don't need it because they just absorb like already pre-digested stuff right so they just let the world mother bird them um and they just like you know the tapeworm (laughs) goes in there and it absorbs already the pre-digested stuff which means that there's no waste products that they need to expel because if you think about it that's why we have an anus it is to get rid of the excess waste once we've taken stuff in our mouth we've digested it there are leftovers we don't need them Mm -hmm. we need to get rid of them insert the butthole um beautiful thing so (laughs) let's let's level up from our creatures that don't have a butthole and let's have a look at something that's called a sack gut so (laughs) there's a series of creatures yeah i'm i'm rolling straight with that i'm living for every little bit of laughter that you guys (laughs) give me here i just i don't know i just want to say like this is science guys like if you're the ones laughing you're the immature ones not me so the sack gut this is where the creature it has a mouth and it has an anus great okay they're the same hole um, so right. the sac gut is where it has a mouth. It will take in the food. It'll close it. And what it does essentially, so like the jellyfish, for example, or the anemone, um, will take in the food, seal it off, squirt some digestive enzymes into that mm-hmm. sac, break it down, and then it'll just get rid of the waste out the same hole it came in. Very convenient, I mean, very efficient. if you efficient. don't have taste buds or sensibilities, like it seems efficient. Right? Not a problem. Uh, the problem is it can't eat again until its last meal has been like spat back out, right? Okay. So you kind of, you can't have breakfast and then have lunch before your breakfast has been pooped back out, which is, you right. know, I don't know, not always how you want to live your life. It's not how I want to live fair my enough, life. Fair enough. Um, so let's level up again. What most animals and like humans, we have something called a through gut, which is where you've got a front door and a back door that are separate, essentially, right? You've got a tube. You go, food comes in, comes out a different hole. 
Seems reasonable. Right? It's an advantage. You can like stack meals and you can like eat stuff. Um, super nifty. Super great. Now, there are some quirks. There are some interesting, I don't, I don't know, for the, this segment, I just want to do like a rapid file through the animal kingdom of just some of my favorite buttholes, animal <laughs> buttholes. Um, and we're going to start with the Fitzroy River Turtle. So the Fitzroy okay. River Turtle, um, it's an Australian, it's a turtle. It's great. It has normal, okay, a thing you need to know about it, it has a mouth and it has normal lungs and it can breathe on air, on land. Much like we do, right? Great yep. for breathing on land. Pretty normal animal, sounds like. Until it, it likes to hang out on the bottom of rivers, right? Underwater. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to breathe water in with your, like, air lungs. It's not... Not don't. deliberately. It's not great. Not. Don't do it. Uh, not ideal. So why am I bringing up breathing in a segment on holes? <laughs> you got to breathe through holes. Well, um, well, buttholes in particular, right? The turtle, <laughs> the Fitzroy River turtle, um, it breathes using its butthole <laughs> underwater. It's something called cloacal restoration. So restoration, respiration, sorry. Okay. Breathing, respiration. So I will just say cloaca. It's essentially the cloaca, a lot of animals like fish, amphibians, reptiles all have cloaca, which essentially is three holes in one. It's like the Swiss army knife of <laughs> buttholes. It's your reproductive hole, your urinary hole, and your like waste release hole, all in one. Okay. Um, so they have these. It's also their breath hole. And so about as much as 70% of their oxygen comes through this, like, butt breathing. So what they do underwater, they bring the water in through their butthole. Then they've got these little, like, organs inside their butt that is essentially extracts the oxygen from the water. And then it can just, like, fart the water back out. And that's how it breathes. (laughs) 70% of its oxygen comes from this butt breathing as opposed to its normal lungs everything so why Wild. do they even have lungs then um because sometimes it's on land and there's not water to oh, like I suck think, up your yeah, butt okay. right Fair it's enough. we like to do both um i'm gonna move on we've got dragonfly uh dragonfly lava in particular larvae they're like little babies so they also breathe through their butts but that's the least exciting thing that these guys <laughs> do with their butts um so they also use their butts as like aquatic jetpacks so they oh. use it to travel. So they can, like, bring in the water, clench, and then really powerfully squeeze their hindgut and use, like, a fart to get away from predators. That's and they genius. do. Better than that, they have mouth weapons, projectile mouth weapons that are powered by their butt jetpacks. So the way that this works, they've got, like, it's like an inbuilt mouth weapon, like a tongue or, like, a claw or, like, a you know, a thing they shoot out very quickly and stab a predator with. Problem, they don't have the muscles required to do this with any, like, great velocity because that's going to weigh them down. They don't want that. The way they solve this, they bring in water through their butt, they clench, they stay clenched this time, they don't release, they squeeze their hindgut just like they're going to do their jetpack, but instead of releasing, what it does, it builds up enough hydraulic pressure that it triggers a mechanism in their mouth and it shoots out their mouth weapons. Oh my god. Wow. Powered by their butts. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Let's move on. Rove beetles. These guys, they use their butts to surf but they also create the waves that they surf on. So essentially these little guys, they're tiny, they're very light and what they're light enough that they can use the surface tension of water to walk Mm. on it. Jesus style. Amazing. (laughs) Only works if they do it slowly. If they start to like run their little legs real fast, it's going to break up the surface surface tension. They're going to sink. Not good. So cute until there's a predator, right? How Mm -hmm. do you yeet quickly? How do you get away very quickly when you can't break up the surface tension? Well, 
they do a poo. They take a dump. <laughs> um, what they do is they secrete a hydrophobic liquid from their butts that breaks up the water tension. <laughs> now, importantly, because it comes from their butts, it only happens only behind them yep. that the water tension breaks. And so if you think about like the surface tension of the water as this force that's kind of pulling on the bug in every direction and you break what's behind them, the only force pulling on the bug is in front and yep. they're going to just like jet across the water so away good. from the predator. Boom. Incredible, <laughs> right? I just, I don't know. Animals. Sea cucumbers. Speaking of animals with amazing anuses. So first of all, their anus can also be used as a second mouth to eat stuff like algae that doesn't require much digestion. Fair enough. Nifty. Cool. Great. They can also, you know, breathe through their butts, which is kind of like boring now that we've gotten onto much more interesting things. <laughs> they have weaponized buttholes. So when they're in danger, when sea cucumbers sense a predator or danger, they spray their intestines out their butts and it's sticky it's noxious it entangles the predators and they can just grow it back they don't mind doing this because they can just grow their intestines back wild crazy they also have something called anal teeth (laughs) only some species um i can guess what that might be then what is it go teeth in the anus yeah no (laughs) spot on uh but why no idea yeah it's to defend essentially from fish that like to live in there so there's oh. a little, like, fish. It's called the pearl fish. And to hide from predators, sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm going to hide in this sea cucumber anus. Why not? Great hole. Let's hang out. Um, but sometimes, the thing is, like, normally that's fine. That's chill. Except sometimes it gets hungry. And so it likes to eat uh, the sea cucumber's gonads. Which it can grow back, just like its intestines. Oh, but, like, not super like, convenient. Not not what um, you want, really, I guess. No, not at all. And so there are teeth to prevent that from happening. Um, because like the other thing, right, is they can't just clench their butthole and keep it closed so that they don't get in because they breathe through their butthole. So they need to keep it open to breathe. And the other thing is that when they breathe, the breath makes currents in the water that actually attracts these fish. So like, you know, (sighs) brings us back to the anal teeth. Um, before we finish. Good to have like anal teeth. I, I was going to say, I wouldn't mind. So I take that back. I, Anyway, I want to move on. There's one last animal that I want to talk about that doesn't have anal teeth. Um, It's called the warty comb jelly. So essentially, it's not a jellyfish, um, but it's similar to a jellyfish. And jellyfish, like I said, have a sac gut, their mouth, their anus, same hole. Mm -hmm. The warty comb jelly, essentially, they thought for a long time that was the same deal. Mm -hmm. Then they caught a bunch of them, and they caught them on video pooping out a different hole to their mouth. And they were like, what's going on here? And then they caught them and they were like, oh, but there's no other hole. Like, what's going on? They have something that scientists call a transient anus. It appears when required. (laughs) So they eat a bunch of food. Their stomach, their gut, it expands until it touches, like, their outer surface. One cell layer thick. Both of these things are only one cell layer thick. So they're able to very easily fuse. A little poop hole creates as required, poops out. Seals up, no trace. Under the microscope, you can't see it. It's only there when required, disappears otherwise. Um, Incredible. Amazing. That is the transient anus of the uh, warty comb jelly. I hope you've (laughs) enjoyed my section on On holes. Holes. Yeah, wholeheartedly, you would say. Yes. Brilliant. All of a sudden, I'm a bit jealous. Human anuses seem a bit boring now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, we really scraped to the bottom of the... No, nah, I don't know. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that was a whole lot of holes that we talked about on today's show. And remember, follow us on Twitter at Radio Silence. You can catch past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We've got one last song. It is Celebrity Skin by Hole. 